Section 9 of Passages from the Life of a Philosopher This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Passages from the Life of a Philosopher by Charles Babbage Chapter 8 of the analytical engine. Man wrongs and time avenges. Byron, the prophecy of Dante. The circular arrangement of the axes of the difference engine round large central wheels led to the most extended prospects. The whole of arithmetic now appeared within the grasp of mechanism. A vague glimpse, even, of an analytical engine at length opened out, and I pursued with enthusiasm the shadowy vision. The drawings and the experiments were of the most costly kind. Draftsmen of the highest order were necessary to economise the labour of my own head, whilst skilled workmen were required to execute the experimental machinery to which I was obliged constantly to have recourse. In order to carry out my pursuits successfully, I had purchased a house with above a quarter of an acre of ground in a very quiet locality. My coach house was now converted into a forge and a foundry, whilst my stables were transformed into a workshop. I built other extensive workshops myself and had a fireproof building for my drawings and draughtsmen. Having myself worked with a variety of tools, and having studied the art of constructing each of them, I at length laid it down as a principle that, except in rare cases, I would never do anything myself if I could afford to hire another person who could do it for me. The Mechanical Notation The complicated relations which then arose amongst the various parts of the machinery would have baffled the most tenacious memory. I overcame that difficulty by improving and extending a language of signs, the mechanical notation, which, in 1826, I had explained in a paper printed in the Phil Trans. By such means, I succeeded in mastering trains of investigation so vast in extent that no length of years ever allotted to one individual could otherwise have enabled me to control. By the aid of the mechanical notation, the analytical engine became a reality, for it became susceptible of demonstration. Such works could not be carried on without great expenditure. The fluctuations in the demand and supply of skilled labour were considerable. The railroad mania withdrew from other pursuits the most intellectual and skilful draughtsman. One who had for some years been my chief assistant was tempted by an offer so advantageous that in justice to his own family he could scarcely have declined it. Under these circumstances I took into consideration the plan of advancing his salary to one guinea per day. Whilst this was in abeyance I consulted my venerable surviving parent. When I had fully explained the circumstances my excellent mother replied, My dear son, you have advanced far in the accomplishment of a great object which is worthy of your ambition. You are capable of completing it. My advice is, pursue it, 
even if it should oblige you to live on bread and cheese. This advice entirely accorded with my own feelings. I therefore retained my chief assistant at his advanced salary. Carrying the tens by anticipation. The most important part of the analytical engine was undoubtedly the mechanical method of carrying the tens. On this I laboured incessantly, each succeeding improvement advancing me a step or two. The difficulty did not consist so much in the more or less complexity of the contrivance as in the reduction of the time required to effect the carriage. Twenty or thirty different plans and modifications had been drawn. At last I came to the conclusion that I had exhausted the principle of successive carriage. I concluded also that nothing but teaching the engine to foresee, and then to act upon that foresight, could ever lead me to the object I desired, namely, to make the whole of any unlimited number of carriages in one unit of time. One morning, after I had spent many hours in the drawing office in endeavouring to improve the system of successive carriages, I mentioned these views to my chief assistant, and added that I should retire to my library and endeavour to work out the new principle. He gently expressed a doubt whether the plan was possible, to which I replied that, not being able to prove its impossibility, I should follow out a slight glimmering of light which I thought I perceived. After about three hours' examination, I returned to the drawing office with much more definite ideas upon the subject. I had discovered a principle that proved the possibility, and I had contrived mechanism which, I thought, would accomplish my object. I now commenced the explanation of my views, which I soon found were but little understood by my assistant. Nor was this surprising, since in the course of my own attempt at explanation I found several defects in my plan, and was also led by his questions to perceive others. All these I removed one after another, and ultimately terminated at a late hour my morning's work with the conviction that anticipating carriage was not only within my power, but that I had devised one mechanism at least by which it might be accomplished. Many years after, my assistant, on his return from a long residence abroad, called upon me, and we talked over the progress of the analytical engine. I referred back to the day on which I had made that most important step, and asked him if he recollected it. His reply was that he perfectly remembered the circumstance, for that on retiring to my library he seriously thought that my intellect was beginning to become deranged. The reader may perhaps be curious to know how I spent the rest of that remarkable day. After working, as I constantly did for ten or eleven hours a day, I had arrived at this satisfactory conclusion and was revising the rough sketches of the new contrivance when my servant entered the drawing office and announced that it was seven o'clock, that I dined in Park Lane and that it was time to dress. I usually arrived at the house of my friend about a quarter of an hour before the appointed time in order that we might have a short conversation on subjects on which we were both much interested. Having mentioned my recent success, in which my host thoroughly sympathised, I remarked that it had produced an exhilaration of the spirits 
which not even his excellent champagne could rival. Having enjoyed the society of Hallam, of Rogers, and of some few others of that delightful circle, I retired, and joined one or perhaps two much more extensive reunions. Having thus forgotten science, and enjoyed society for four or five hours, I returned home. About one o'clock I was asleep in my bed, and thus continued for the next five hours. This new and rapid system of carrying the tens when two numbers are added together reduced the actual time of the addition of any number of digits, however large, to nine units of time for the addition and one unit for the carriage. Thus, in ten units of time, any two numbers, however large, might be added together. A few more units of time, perhaps five or six, were required for making the requisite previous arrangements. Having thus advanced as nearly as seemed possible to the minimum of time requisite for arithmetical operations, I felt renewed power and increased energy to pursue the far higher object I had in view. To describe the successive improvements of the analytical engine would require many volumes. I only propose here to indicate a few of its more important functions, and to give to those whose minds are duly prepared for it, some information which will remove those vague notions of wonder, and even of its impossibility, with which it is surrounded in the minds of some of the most enlightened. Jacquard Loom To those who are acquainted with the principles of the Jacquard Loom, and who are also familiar with analytical formulae, a general idea of the means by which the engine executes its operations may be obtained without much difficulty. In the exhibition of 1862 there were many splendid examples of such looms. It is known as a fact that the Jacquard loom is capable of weaving any design which the imagination of man can conceive. It is also the constant practice for skilled artists to be employed by manufacturers in designing patterns. These patterns are then sent to a peculiar artist who, by means of a certain machine, punches holes in a set of pasteboard cards in such a manner that when these cards are placed in a jacquard loom, it will then weave upon its produce the exact pattern designed by the artist. Weaving formulae. Now, the manufacturer may use, for the warp and weft of his work, threads which are all of the same colour. Let us suppose them to be unbleached or white threads. In this case, the cloth will be woven all of one colour, but there will be a damask pattern on it, such as the artist designed. But the manufacturer might use the same cards and put into the warp threads of any other colour. Every thread might even be of a different colour, or of a different shade of colour. But in all these cases, the form of the pattern will be precisely the same. The colours only will differ. The analogy of the analytical engine with this well-known process is nearly perfect. The analytical engine consists of two parts. First, the store, in which all the variables to be operated upon, as well as all those quantities which have arisen from the result of other operations, are placed. Second, the mill, into which the quantities about to be operated upon are always brought. 
Every formula which the analytical engine can be required to compute consists of certain algebraical operations to be performed upon given letters and of certain other modifications depending on the numerical value assigned to those letters. There are therefore two sets of cards, the first to direct the nature of the operations to be performed, these are called operation cards, the other to direct the particular variables on which those cards are required to operate, these latter are called variable cards. Now the symbol of each variable or constant is placed at the top of a column capable of containing any required number of digits. Under this arrangement, when any formula is required to be computed, a set of operation cards must be strung together which contain the series of operations in the order in which they occur. Another set of cards must then be strung together to call in the variables into the mill, the order in which they are required to be acted upon. Each operation card will require three other cards, two to represent the variables and constants and their numerical values upon which the previous operation card is to act, and one to indicate the variable on which the arithmetical result of this operation is to be placed. But each variable has below it, on the same axis, a certain number of figure wheels marked on their edges with the ten digits. Upon these, any number the machine is capable of holding can be placed. Whenever variables are ordered into the mill, these figures will be brought in and the operation indicated by the preceding card will be performed upon them. The result of this operation will then be replaced in the store. Law of Development The analytical engine is therefore a machine of the most general nature. Whatever formula it is required to develop, the law of its development must be communicated to it by two sets of cards. When these have been placed, the engine is special for that particular formula. The numerical value of its constants must then be put on the columns of wheels below them, and on setting the engine in motion, it will calculate and print the numerical results of that formula. Every set of cards made for any formula will, at any future time, recalculate that formula with whatever constants may be required. Thus, the analytical engine will possess a library of its own. Every set of cards, once made, will at any future time reproduce the calculations for which it was first arranged. The numerical value of its constants may then be inserted. It is perhaps difficult to apprehend these descriptions without a familiarity both with analytical forms and mechanical structures. I will now, therefore, confine myself to the mathematical view of the analytical engine and illustrate by example some of its supposed difficulties. An excellent friend of mine, the late Professor McCulloch of Dublin, was discussing with me at breakfast the various powers of the analytical engine. After a long conversation on the subject, he inquired what the machine could do if, in the midst of algebraic operations, it was required to perform logarithmic or trigonometric operations. Its use of tables. My answer was that whenever the analytical engine should exist, all the developments of formula would be directed by this condition, that the machine should be able to compute their numerical value in the shortest possible time. 
I then added that if this answer were not satisfactory, I had provided means by which, with equal accuracy, it might compute by logarithmic or other tables. Discovers a mistake. I explained that the tables to be used must, of course, be computed and punched on cards by the machine, in which case they would undoubtedly be correct. I then added that when the machine wanted a tabular number, say the logarithm of a given number, that it would ring a bell and then stop itself. On this, the attendant would look at a certain part of the machine and find that it wanted the logarithm of a given number, say of 2303. The attendant would then go to the drawer containing the pasteboard cards representing its table of logarithms. From amongst these, he would take the required logarithmic card and place it in the machine. Upon this, the engine would first ascertain whether the assistant had or had not given him the correct logarithm of the number. If so, it would use it and continue its work. But if the engine found the attendant had given him a wrong logarithm, it would then ring a louder bell and stop itself. On the attendant again examining the engine, he would observe the words wrong tabular number and then discover that he really had given the wrong logarithm and of course he would have to replace it by the right one. Upon this, Professor McCulloch naturally asked why, if the machine could tell whether the logarithm was the right one, it should have asked the attendant at all. I told him that the means employed were so ridiculously simple that I would not at that moment explain them but that if he would come again in the course of a few days, I should be ready to explain it. Three or four days after, Bessel and Jacobi, who had just arrived in England, were sitting with me, inquiring about the analytical engine, when fortunately my friend McCulloch was announced. The meeting was equally agreeable to us all, and we continued our conversation. After some time, Bessel put to me the very same question which McCulloch had previously asked. On this, Jacobi remarked that he too was about to make the same inquiry when Bessel had asked the question. I then explained to them the following very simple means by which that verification was accomplished. Knows what it wants. Besides the set of cards which direct the nature of the operations to be performed, and the variables or constants which are to be operated upon, there is another class of cards called number cards. These are much less general in their uses than the others, although they are necessarily of much larger size. Any number which the analytical engine is capable of using or of producing can, if required, be expressed by a card with certain holes in it. The card illustrated contains 11 vertical rows for holes, each row having 9 or any less number of holes. In this example, the tabular number is 3622939, whilst its number in the order of the table is 2303. In fact, the former number is the logarithm of the latter. The analytical engine will contain First, apparatus for printing on paper one or, if required, two copies of its results. Second, 
means for producing a stereotype mould of the tables or results it computes. Third, mechanism for punching on blank pasteboard cards or metal plates the numerical results of any of its computations. Stops and rings a bell. Of course the engine will compute all the tables which it may itself be required to use. These cards will therefore be entirely free from error. Now when the engine requires a tabular number, it will stop, ring a bell and ask for such number. In the case we have assumed, it asks for the logarithm of 2303. When the attendant has placed a tabular card in the engine, the first step taken by it will be to verify the number of the card, given it, by subtracting its number from 2303, the number whose logarithm it asked for. If the remainder is zero, then the engine is certain that the logarithm must be the right one, since it was computed and punched by itself. Thus, the analytical engine first computes and punches on cards its own tabular numbers. These are brought to it by its attendant when demanded. But the engine itself takes care that the right card is brought to it by verifying the number of that card by the number of the card which it demanded. The engine will always reject a wrong card by continually ringing a loud bell and stopping itself until supplied with the precise intellectual food it demands. It will be an interesting question, which time only can solve, to know whether such tables of cards will ever be required for the engine. Tables are used for saving the time of continually computing individual numbers, but the computations to be made by the engine are so rapid that it seems most probable that it will make shorter work by computing directly from proper formulae than by having recourse even to its own tables. The analytical engine I propose will have the power of expressing every number it uses to 50 places of figures. It will multiply any two such numbers together and then, if required, will divide the product of 100 figures by number of 50 places of figures. Arithmetical difficulties Supposing the velocity of the moving parts of the engine to be not greater than 40 feet per minute, I have no doubt that 60 additions or subtractions may be completed and printed in one minute. One multiplication of two numbers, each of 50 figures, in one minute. One division of a number having 100 places of figures by another of 50 in one minute. In the various sets of drawings of the modifications of the mechanical structure of the analytical engines, already numbering upwards of 30, two great principles were embodied to an unlimited extent. First, the entire control over arithmetical operations, however large and whatever might be the number of their digits. Second, the entire control over the combinations of algebraic symbols, however lengthened those processes may be required. The possibility of fulfilling these two conditions might reasonably be doubted by the most accomplished mathematician as well as by the most ingenious mechanician. The difficulties which naturally occur to those capable of examining the question, as far as they relate to arithmetic, are these. A. The number of digits in each constant inserted in the engine must be without limit. B. 
the number of constants to be inserted in the engine must also be without limit. C. The number of operations necessary for arithmetic is only four, but these four may be repeated an unlimited number of times. D. These operations may occur in any order or follow an unlimited number of laws. Algebraical difficulties. The following conditions relate to the algebraic portion of the analytical engine. E. The number of literal constants must be unlimited. F. The number of variables must be without limit. G. The combinations of the algebraic signs must be unlimited. H. The number of functions to be employed must be without limit. This enumeration includes eight conditions, each of which is absolutely unlimited as to the number of its combinations. Now, it is obvious that no finite machine can include infinity. It is also certain that no question necessarily involving infinity can ever be converted into any other in which the idea of infinity, under some shape or other, does not enter. It is impossible to construct machinery occupying unlimited space, but it is possible to construct finite machinery and to use it through unlimited time. It is this substitution of the infinity of time for the infinity of space which I have made use of to limit the size of the engine and yet to retain its unlimited power. A. I shall now proceed briefly to point out the means by which I have effected this change. Larger numbers treated. Since every calculating machine must be constructed for the calculation of a def definite number of figures, the first datum must be to fix upon that number. In order to be somewhat in advance of the greatest number that may ever be required, I chose 50 places of figures as the standard for the analytical engine. The intention being that in such a machine, two numbers, each of 50 places of figures, might be multiplied together and the resultant product of 100 places might then be divided by another number of 50 places. It seems to me probable that a long period must elapse before the demands of science will exceed this limit. To this it may be added that the addition and subtraction of numbers in an engine constructed for n places of figures would be equally rapid whether n were equal to 5 or 5,000 digits. With respect to multiplication and division, the time required is greater. Thus, if a times 10 to the 50 plus b and a prime times 10 to the 50 plus b prime are two numbers, each of less than 100 places of figures, then each can be expressed upon two columns of 50 figures, and a, b, a prime and b prime are each less than 50 places of figures. They can therefore be added and subtracted upon any column holding 50 places of figures. The product of two such numbers is a a prime 10 to the 100 plus a b prime 10 to the 50 plus a prime b 10 to the 50 plus b b prime. This expression contains four pairs of factors a a prime, a b prime, a prime b, b b prime, 
each factor of which has less than 50 places of figures. Each multiplication can therefore be executed in the engine. The time, however, of multiplying two numbers, each consisting of any number of digits between 50 and 100, will be nearly four times as long as that of two such numbers of less than 50 places of figures. The same reasoning will show that if the number of digits of each factor are between 100 and 150, then the time required for the operation will be nearly nine times that of a pair of factors having only 50 digits. Thus it appears that whatever may be the number of digits the analytical engine is capable of holding, if it is required to make all the computations with k times that number of digits, then it can be executed by the same engine, but in an amount of time equal to k squared times the former. Hence the condition a, or the unlimited number of digits contained in each constant employed, is fulfilled. It must, however, be admitted that this advantage is gained at the expense of diminishing the number of the constants the engine can hold. An engine of 50 digits, when used as one of 100 digits, can only contain half the number of variables. An engine containing m columns, each holding n digits, if used for computations requiring kn digits, can only hold m over k constants or variables. Of punching cards. b. The next step is therefore to prove b. viz. to show that a finite engine can be used as if it contained an unlimited number of constants. The method of punching cards for tabular numbers has already been alluded to. Each analytical engine will contain one or more apparatus for printing any numbers put into it, and also an apparatus for punching on pasteboard cards the holes corresponding to those numbers. At another part of the machine, a series of number cards, resembling those of Jacquard, but delivered to and computed by the machine itself, can be placed or according to any law the engine may be directed to use. Hence, the condition B is fulfilled. Namely, an unlimited number of constants can be inserted in the machine in an unlimited time. I propose in the engine I am constructing to have places for only a thousand constants, because I think it will be more than sufficient. But if it were required to have ten, or even a hundred times that number, it would be quite possible to make it, such is the simplicity of its structure of that portion of the engine. A thousand variables. C. The next stage in the arithmetic is the number of times the four processes of addition, subtraction, multiplication and division can be repeated. It is obvious that four different cards would give the orders for the four rules of arithmetic. Now there is no limit to the number of such cards which may be strung together according to the nature of the operations required. Consequently, the condition C is fulfilled. D. The fourth arithmetical condition, D, that the order of succession in which these operations can be varied is itself unlimited, follows as a matter of course. 
the four remaining conditions which must be fulfilled in order to render the analytical engine as general as the science of which it is the powerful executive relate to algebraic quantities with which it operates. The thousand columns, each capable of holding any number of less than 51 places of figures, may each represent a constant or a variable quantity. These quantities I have called by the comprehensive title of variables and have denoted them by V subscript N with an index below. In the machine I have designed, n may vary from 0 to 999. But after any one or more columns have been used for variables, if those variables are not required afterwards, they may be printed upon paper and the columns themselves again used for other variables. In such cases, the variables must have a new index, thus mvn. I propose to make n vary from 0 to 99. If more variables are required, these may be supplied by variable cards, which may follow each other in unlimited succession. Each card will cause its symbol to be printed with its proper indices. For the sake of uniformity, I have used V with as many indices as may be required throughout the engine. This, however, does not prevent the printed result of a development from being represented by any letters which may be thought to be more convenient. In that part in which the results are printed, type of any form may be used, according to the taste of the proposer of the question. It thus appears that the two conditions, E and F, which require that the number of constants and variables should be unlimited, are both fulfilled. The condition G, requiring that the number of combinations of the four algebraic signs shall be unlimited, is easily fulfilled by placing them on cards in any order of succession the problem may require. The last condition, H, namely that the number of functions to be employed must be without limit, might seem at first sight to be difficult to fulfil. But when it is considered that any function of any number of operations performed upon any variables is but a combination of the four simple signs of operation with various quantities, it becomes apparent that any function whatever may be represented by two groups of cards, the first being signs of operation, placed in the order in which they succeed each other, and the second group of cards representing the variables and constants, placed in the order of succession in which they are acted upon by the former. End of section 9